This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. And we are back on the other side of Midnight. Dominic Carter in this morning for Frank Morano. Frank has a well-deserved day off. Our guest right now is someone I really want to talk to and with regarding these issues. Young people, not all, but some, wilding, if you will, doing very stupid things. And the issue of crime throughout the country. Our guest is Norman Seabrook, the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. Good morning to you, Mr. Seabrook. Good morning, sir. How are you, Dominic? I'm doing well, and I hope that you and your family are doing well. Let me ask you this question. So you and I share something in common. We have a rough upbringing in the Bronx, New York, public school educations, And I spent time today trying to figure this out. How did we make it out while so many kids in communities around the country do not? Well, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I wish uh, everyone a happy Hanukkah, happy uh, Kwanzaa, Merry Christmas, all of that stuff. And and knowing you, Dominic, I pray that all is well with you and your family because you do have a wonderful family. And yes, we made it. We made it out. And. I think part of that is because we had people uh, in our lives uh, while we were growing up that cared uh, that much more for us. Um, I'm not saying that the parents today or the uh, individuals today don't care. They just don't show the same um, concern that they had when we grew up. If we did something growing up in the communities that we came from, we surely uh, got a ass whipping, if you will, from them and got home and got another one at the same time. But today, you know, so many young people are out here in the streets of the city of New York and Chicago and other places 
they're looking for love. They're looking for love in all the wrong places. Uh, and that's why they join these gangs. And that's why they get involved in all of these uh, after-hour uh, activities that certainly they should be home doing something else. But then again, you have the parent who uh, says, you know, I really can't do nothing with this kid anymore. He, he's out of control. He doesn't listen. He's threatening the parent these days. Uh, we didn't have that problem. Um, I, don't, I don't think very many people listening had a problem when their parent told them to do something. Yes, there are a lot of single households. We get that. I was raised by my mom. Didn't have a father there. He wasn't there. Was never there. But at the end of the day, that didn't stop me from becoming the man that she instructed me to be. So many times in our lives, we forget the basics. And I think in the city of New York, especially, we have to go back to basics. The basics are we have to give these young people something to do other than uh, love another person on the corner and join a gang. What do I mean by that? We got to open up the centers again. We got to get Job Corps back again. We have to give these young people opportunities and jobs. We have to give them something to look forward to as opposed to just giving them the same old rhetoric over and over and kicking the road down, the can, uh, kicking the can down the road. What's interesting, and I, I, it wasn't a trick question, but I didn't want to guide you uh, in terms of, I, that's why I asked you, Norman Seabrook, an open-ended question, and you said, you hit it right on the head, even though I asked the open-ended question, and that is when I asked about why you and I made it out, and so many other kids around the country do not, you said because there was someone special in your family, and family we know is a wide definition. It doesn't have to be a blood relative, but it was someone that cared and went over and above. And I just find it amazing because for me, it was my grandmother and my aunt Inez, and you just said it was your mother, but it was someone. Yes, absolutely, and I think that that that's something that's missing right now because, Dominic, let's be candid with each other. People are afraid of some of these kids on the street. They're afraid of them because they don't know them. They don't talk to them. They don't communicate with them. Even the ones that are at home with their mother or, or mother and father, they come in, uh, they get right on their uh, Instagram or right on their phone and they're doing a whole bunch of other things and there's no communication. There's nothing that allows them to have a decent conversation to ask, what are your interests, kid? I mean, what, what are you interested in besides doing this phone thing? Maybe if you just sat down and talked to them, they would understand. But what we're faced with right now is we've isolated ourselves. And I, want, I don't want to say it's them because we're the adults here. We're, we're the adults here. We need to speak to them. It, 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 it's a matter of respect at this point. Now, you are going to have some that are going to rebel. There's no question about that. But you're not giving them anything else. You're not saying to them, okay, uh, you go to a kid on the street, you say, listen, I don't want you hanging out anymore. You know, you really should be studying and doing this. And then they say, well, what else am I going to do besides stay in the house? What, what else is there that you're offering me? Are, are you offering me something else? And, and that's why I don't understand how some of the things that are happening uh, in this country, in this city, are, are happening because people are just allowing people to do whatever it is that they want to do simply because it's not their job. It's not my job, so I'm going to let somebody else handle it. When you look at the problems that we're facing here in the city of New York, we got a migrant problem. We got a homeless problem. 
We got a mental health problem. We got a Rikers Island problem. We got a policing problem. We got a job problem. I could go on and on and on and on, but nobody wants to take responsibility. Everybody wants to get the job done, but nobody wants to do the work to do. I I hear you. Explain this to me uh, because I'm I'm a little um, curious as it relates to this, and I want to talk politics with you uh, because you were the first union leader when no one knew who Obama was, you endorsed him. But we'll we'll get to that. And we are talking with uh, Norman Seabrook, who was the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. So you and I, Mr. Seabrook, we, I don't know, maybe we're a little different. Maybe we're a little off. I don't know. Each of us will walk into the hardest communities without batting the eye. And I wonder about that sometimes. Why is that? You know, it's not that we don't bat an eye. Is that uh, it, it, it's almost like uh, an animal, an animal that uh, senses fear uh, in, in, in a weaker animal. Uh, they will attack. When you show fear, you receive that. You know, when you show confidence in yourself, you receive that. So that's why we are and others are able to do that because, you know, these same jungle grounds that you're walking, I walked a long time ago, you know, and it's nothing different on the sidewalk that wasn't there 50 years ago. You know, when you look at it and you look at it and change the, the way you look at things, things you look at will begin to change. I'm not threatened by the young people. I, I embrace it, as a matter of fact. Uh, when I left the church uh, this afternoon, I was driving by uh, a school in the Bronx, um, and I made a U-turn. And then I made another U-turn. And then I went back to the school because there was about, I want to say, nine or ten young black brothers standing outside in the parking lot with their jackets on and a basketball in their hand. And I pulled up into the parking lot and I asked the coach, uh, Coach Pete uh, is his name from the Bronx. I said, Coach, uh, I didn't even know he was a coach at the time. I said, what are you guys doing? He says, well, we getting ready to go play a basketball game and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But I, here's what struck me, and this is where I'm getting to. There were a couple of guys that were eating breakfast. They had their, you could see they had a little sandwich from the corner deli, whatever it was. Dominic, I felt compelled to reach into my pocket and give the coach a few dollars. And I said, whoever didn't have nothing to eat, give them something to eat. Because people did that for me, Dominic. I don't have money, you understand? But I have compassion, you know? I see something in these people, in these young brothers and sisters out here. But it's just you just have to take time to communicate with them. We're not doing that. We're quick to point the finger. We're quick to say, oh, well, well we got to do this, we got to do that. No, it's not. We, what are you going to do? Are you getting involved in this? Are you pulling down the shade or are you pulling up the shade? Are you trying to help a young person? Are you giving them a job? Are you offering them a job? Are you trying to mentor them or are you trying to shoot them down? What are you trying to do here? Are you going to the parents and saying to them, do you need help? Does your child need mental health help? Do we need to start putting money into the programs in mental health from K through 12? We need to start putting money into these centers that give these young people an opportunity to go someplace besides worrying about getting shot on the corner somewhere or stabbed like this 18-year-old that was just stabbed last evening here in New York City. We have to do something because if we don't do something, then we're part of the problem. Agreed. I I do want to ask you, and in a moment I'm going to take a break, and we are we are chatting with Norman Seabrook a man that has been on the front line and remains on the front line 
He's the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. I want to ask you questions, and I do this, Mr. Seabrook, from time to time, and it leaves me depressed. A simple Google search, no matter what city or state you're listening to us uh, from right now, and this is, of course, the other side of midnight. I'm Dominic Carter in for Frank Morano. But a simple Google search, and you put in youth crime, and you'll get, a million headlines, and I mean within the last day to 24 hours. So I want to give you a couple of headlines. I'm going to give you one, and I want you to respond, and then I'm going to take a break. And this is one of the headlines here, and it happens to be in Syracuse, New York. People are listening to us right now from around the country, but this one is in Syracuse, New York. And the headline says a 15-year-old teenage boy, 15 years old, is dead after being shot in Syracuse Tuesday night. It's the latest tragedy in an ongoing saga of youth violence and crime in the city of Syracuse. Now, Syracuse is known as an upstate city in New York and for their sports programs at Syracuse University. How does this happen, Mr. Seabrook? Well, I think, in in my opinion, not knowing all the facts in this, I think there's a couple of variables that go in in my head that automatically comes to my head people would automatically say well where was the parent well the parent could have been working for all you know for all i know you understand maybe the parent can't control the kid anymore maybe the parent is afraid of the child but now let's go to the child let's say the child was out two o'clock in the afternoon and this happened by a freak accident i don't know but but we we are fixated on the, the the headline but we don't know the whole story about it. It's like looking at it's like looking at looking at me. Don't people on the phone probably say, "Well, who is Norman Seabrook?" Norman Seabrook did 22 months in federal prison for something that I still maintain my innocence of. But you see, I, that doesn't stop me from being who I am. That do, I'm not going to hide under a rock. You understand? I'm going to do what it is that the man upstairs has instructed me to do. I got to do and continue to do what it I do. It's just like. Khalif Browder that was locked up on Rikers Island and he had a lot of he had a couple of incidents on the island and the island he got he got out of Rikers he ended up hanging himself killing himself committing suicide and that bothered me it bothered me because there was no avenue for this young man this young man maintained his innocence he went over and over I'm innocent I'm innocent they offered him a plea I'm innocent I'm innocent the end of the day he's dead He's dead because there was no outlet for him to release what was inside of him. And he went on. His mother did the best that she could. I saw the interview. You saw the interview. The world probably saw it. But at the end of the day, there has to be an avenue for these individuals that are suffering in these communities to release themselves. And it's not there, Dominic. It's just not there. But we spend Hundreds of millions of dollars now we're spending on migrants coming from other countries into the United States of America. I understand other people want to come here. I understand that this is the land of opportunity. But there are people that signed up to come, and they can't even get here because all of these other people have jumped in front of them. That's unfair. I think that when we continue to spend the money that we're spending on the individuals that are here and not investing in our own that are here and have been here is a damn shame. Well said. We are chatting here on the other side of midnight with Norman Seabrook, the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. Frank Morano has the day off. I'm Dominic Carter. We will be right back. 
The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. So this is Christmas. What have you done? Another year over And a new one just begun And so this is Christmas I hope you have fun The near and the dear ones The And we are back on the other side of midnight. Frank Morano is off this morning. I'm Dominic Carter filling in for Frank. We are chatting with Mr. Norman Seabrook, the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association about youth violence, about crime. And I'm going to veer off for a second and talk about politics. So, Mr. Seabrook, you, you know, everyone says they predicted that Trump would win and so on. But when Obama first started out, I mean, when he was he was nowhere on the national radar, you endorsed him. And I believe it was his first union endorsement. So you've got a stellar record at picking winners. How do you see this presidential race? Well, and let me say that I also uh, was the only union leader to pick Mike Bloomberg. That's uh, correct. From, that's from that's correct. The city that's of correct. New York. Um, so, you know, you can look at my track record. I also predicted that George W. Bush would beat Al Gore and a certain newspaper, not to be mentioned, uh, tore me a new one until after he won. And then they were like, oh, maybe, he, maybe he's <laughs> on to something here. But be that as it may, I think that the election right now, the, the, the way the way that it looks right now with all that's going on, um, it's a, it's 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 a toss up because it's not solidified in any one uh, category. You're, you're, we're, we're faced with a lot of problems here uh, in in. Well, they're faced with a lot of problems in Washington, but we are faced with a lot of problems here in the United States of America. And I think that leader Jeffries is doing uh, the best that he can uh, with everything that's on the table in front of him. Uh, because, every, like I said before, everybody wants something done, but nobody wants to do the work. So this election right now, in my opinion, just my personal opinion, is too close to call. And, and why do I say it's too close to call? Because, you know, if you look at the way that things are uh, transforming uh, right before you, 
uh, gas prices are coming down, inflation prices are coming down, interest rates are coming down. That gives the common uh, person like myself and yourself the opportunity to see a possible light at the end of the tunnel. So in, in, the, in, in the Biden administration, I guess that's favorable. You would you would say so. But then on the other side, you've got uh, individuals that that will probably say that's only because the election is coming and that's why these things are happening. Be that as it may, elections have consequences. But what's best for you and your family and your pocketbook is what people have to vote on. They can't you just can't vote on emotions because emotions is just that it's an emotion. It's going to pass. It's, it's not real. It's just something that comes upon you for that moment, and then you're off to something else. Right now, people have to be really, really concentrating on what's best, not only for them and their families, but what's best for their community, what's best for the, the, the borough, what's best for the city, what's best for the state, and on and on and on. Fair enough. I mentioned, and we are chatting with Norman Seabrook, who is the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. I mentioned that I was going to give you a couple of headlines from around the country as it relates to crime and young people and just get your reaction. So here's another one that's also from Syracuse, New York. And the headline or the paragraph to the story reads, there could be an unlikely person helping to lead our community to the right path. From his first press conference, Fran Brown made it known that he wasn't just here to transform the Syracuse football program. He wanted to transform the community, too. So in other words, Mr. Seabrook, the new head coach at Syracuse University, a major football program, says his job is not just football, but to challenge and stop all the youth crime that's going on. Your reaction? First, God bless him. And I think that he's doing the yeoman's work. Because I think that, you know, a person like him, watch what I tell you. He could run for mayor. He could run for mayor and he could win because he has the, the ability and, and the, the compassion to understand the challenges that these young people face on a daily basis. And he sees it firsthand. He's obviously talking to the players He's obviously talking to the kids to be able to say, I got to do something here. Something uh, in his ear, in his head, made him go, I got to do something here. And everyone that's listening should join him and be a part of it. And you will see how you transform that community into a safer zone for not only the children that he's got under his his watchful eye, but the children that are going to watch the other kids go, I want to do that, too. I want to go horseback riding. I want to go uh, canoeing. I want to go up in the mountains, into the woods. I want to come out of the community that I'm in and see something different. I want to see and explore. You have children in the city of New York and, and uh, that's probably never been out of the city of New York, probably never been out of their borough for that matter, because they're isolated. It's a jungle sometimes and they're just locked down. And that brother, Mr. Brown, has an opportunity you understand, to make a change in a person's life. And that's what we were talking about earlier, Dominic, where somebody was in our lives that helped make that transition for us. And indeed, he's to be commended. That's the brand new head football coach at Syracuse University. I've got headlines for you from Memphis, from in Indiana. But I do want to ask you this. So politicians are, and it's about crime. 
Politicians around the country, for the most part, will tell you consistently crime is down. But we all know, Norman Seabrook, perception becomes reality. People from state to state do not believe that crime is down. How did crime get so out of control so fast recently? I think because if you're not allowed to, well, a police officer's job is to enforce the law. A police officer's job is to write a infraction, summons, whatever you want to call it, for a violation of the law. If a police officer is not allowed to do his or her job, then that becomes a I don't give a damn attitude about it anymore because I'm not allowed to do my job. So it becomes a real problem in the cities throughout the country, all right, whether it be here, L.A., wherever it may be, because the individual that is responsible for doing the job cannot do the job, so they become discouraged. The person that's doing the job and working twice as hard to do the right thing all the time never gets the credit that they deserve in the police department or the correction department and they're in the fire department, teachers all over the place. They're not getting that, but they're busting their hump to do it every day. Dominic, every day they're out there doing twice as much, giving out of their own pockets, doing everything. But when the, the top echelon don't allow them to get the recognition that they deserve or give them the tools that they need to do the job, the, system is going to explode. It's just a matter of time. It, it's not when it's, well, I guess it's, it's, it's going to happen. Uh, you know, I'm not predicting it. I hope it never happens, but the way that we see the cycle going in, in, in the, in the world that we're living in right now, we're in AI right now. You know, if people are not familiar with how to operate in and work with computers and AI and everything else, this group of people, it's going to be left behind. It's going to be horrible because they're going to become of age where they are going to be in their 60s or 70s or, or late 50s or whatever it is. And then they're not going to know anything. They're not going to know anything because they're concentrating on guns. They're concentrating on violence. We need to do something to be able to get these young people involved in learning more about technology and going forward. We don't need to be third, fourth, or fifth on the list of China and this one and that one that's all ahead of us because we have the resources, but we're just not applying them the way that they should be applied. We are chatting with Norman Seabrook, the former head of the New York City Correction Officers Benevolent Association. I only have a few more minutes left, so I do want to ask you this. I want to say something that's not politically correct, but I contend, Mr. Seabrook, that the message out of the George Floyd case tied the hands of police around the country. And I want to say something else that may be a bit more controversial for you, but I want to get your take on this. I believe that the Black Lives Matter movement has done more harm than good. You say what? Well, in as far as the George Floyd um, incident that occurred, um, after watching the tapes, I don't know what was in that officer's head, but it definitely, without a doubt, stained uh, the way that policing uh, was done in that particular precinct area, whatever the case may be. And it gave people uh, a opportunity to say, you see, they keep doing it. You see, you see, you see it. Now it's right on video. And what are you going to do about it? It really set off a firestorm 
a firestorm of of individuals that said, you know what, enough is enough. It became that thing where enough is enough. Okay. Now, that being said, looking at the training, looking at the, the policies and procedures that had to be put forth, uh, governing how a police officer is to restrain an individual, whatever the case may be, it's it's just humane. That's all it is. You don't need to put your knee in someone's neck or you don't need to do this or you don't need there's a number of things that you could or could not do wasn't there not going to monday morning quarterback what that man was thinking at the time i don't even know whether he was insane i don't know what was what it was going through his head that being said the black lives matter uh individuals i think that the black lives matter um got totally this out of control because when you start destroying a community that you live in it, it just doesn't make any sense to me. It, you know, I mean, somebody has to go get pampers at that store that you just tore down or burnt down down tomorrow afternoon for that baby that is home. I understand the rage. I understand the feel of you being disproportionately treated differently than others. I can get it. I get it. I understand that. But at the end of the day, the, the, the process that you have to go through to make people get it at this point is let's do something constructive. Let's turn around. And now that we see that there are monies available to different communities throughout the city of New York, through the government, let's see about opening centers where we could train our people to understand. And when I say our people, I'm talking about the human race. I'm not talking about a black race or white race or any other race. I'm talking about a Christian race, a race that gets the opportunity to say, you know what, there is a higher power than me, and I'm going to do it this way, because the other way is not working. So i got to try something different. This can't hurt me. The only thing that could happen to me is I end up exactly where I am right now. So let's go forward and try to build that confidence in the communities. Let's go forward and try to build that relationship in the communities one block at a time, one child at a time. It's not going to happen overnight, but the city of New York, the, the, the state of New York, we have to do something bold. And what I mean by bold is we have to just take the challenge. You've got individuals talking about closing Rikers Island. Rikers Island has 400 acres of land. You could actually reconstruct a brand new state-of-the-art facility on Rikers Island and save billions of dollars compared to taking these same billions of dollars and building jails inside the communities, whether Bronx, Manhattan, Brooklyn, Queens. Because what you're going to do is, A, you're going to cause more traffic. Somebody's got to come to work. They're coming to work by car. Where are they going to park? B, you're going to have buses that are going to have to transport the individual from that facility to the courthouse. C, you're going to spend billions of dollars in that community. D, you're going to lower the tax. You're going to lower the home value in the community because you have a facility there. E, you're going to turn around and you're going to have seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds, 10-year-olds, 15-year-olds walking past this facility, going to school or supposedly supposed to be going to school in the morning, and you have these same individuals screaming at them at the window talking about, yo, go tell my man I said, what's up? And you're going to have these kids looking at this building saying, what is that? And then it just goes to the point where the parents say, oh, that's a jail, and if you don't listen, you're going to go there. That, you don't put that in a child's head. You don't make this child fear 
to the point of saying, oh, that's a jail right there. I understand, but there's a way that you say it and there's a way that you do it. I think, Dominic, there are so many things that you can do. You take to put the state-of-the-art facility on Rikers Island, you build that facility, you then take the other 300 acres if you want to, and you build a college complex. These kids get out of jail, you want to go to college here, you can go to college here. Other people want to go to college, you want to move them over. You're going to take the same space that you're talking about. We got to build more schools. Okay, so build some of those schools on Rikers Island. Take the high school kids out of the schools that are here now, move them, bust them over there since they're all seniors now, and give that space available because now we're running out of space because of the migrants. So, you know, this is you're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't sometimes. I, I hear you, Mr. Seabrook. Unfortunately, I am out of time. Folks, I will be taking your telephone calls when we come back. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Norman Seabrook, the former president of the Correction Officers Benevolent Association. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Dominic, thank you, man. God bless you. And if I don't talk to you, which I know I will, have a very, 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 very Merry Christmas, my brother. Very Merry Christmas. Thank you. And right back at you and your family. We'll be right back. The other side of midnight with your telephone calls. Stay with us. The other side of midnight. Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose. Yuletide carols being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Eskimos Everybody knows I don't think you have any more Christmas than this song No, no, you can't, you can't So, Dominic Carter in for for Frank Morano this morning the other side of midnight. It's been my absolute honor to fill in for Frank and Matt Blaze. This song, you know, I just want to melt. I love you, man. I just want to melt. <laughs> it's a good I just, one, right? I just want to melt right now. I was wait, thinking, wait, is the best part. Wait, Santa's on his way. Come on, sing with me. We got to record a Dominic Carter version. Sing with me. I, I don't know the words. Well. <laughs> Go ahead, Tony into it. I, I can't sing, so I'm not going to Hollywood. As Randy would say, it's a no for me, dog. Tony, <laughs> Tony you can't sing? You can't sing? Wait, just, just one more verse, and then I'm going to go to some of the telephone calls. And so I'm offering. I just want to float right now. I just want to float, Tony. Not King Cole's is smooth, silky, man. Smooth, smooth. Wait, just this one part. Just this one part. Although it's been said many times, many, many ways, ways, Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Come on, Tony. To, to you. you. 
from the staff here at the other side of midnight. Dominic Carter in for Frank Morano. After Frank hears our singing, we're all done, guys. We're, we're all done. I was thinking Frank might get annoyed that I played all these Christmas songs tonight, but I didn't play the like the, the goofy ones that he likes, ah, so he'll be all right. Ah, this one to him would be like, oh, this is playing all the time. I don't know about this one. Ah, ah. But I, you know, Grandma got run over by a reindeer. We <laughs> saved that for Frank because okay, he likes okay, that stuff. Okay. This one, this one, I'm just floating on air. And the number you can reach us until the top of the hour is 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. It's been said many times, many ways. Merry Christmas to you. Now, folks, you don't have to call up and tell me, keep your day job, keep your night job. You can't sing. I already know that. Mike in South Carolina. Good morning, Mike. What's on your mind? Dominic, you know, I've been playing poker since I spoke to you a couple hours ago. Small game. But you can sing. You know, I was a percussionist and uh, open mic night and this and that. You could sing. I remember one show, Curtis was saying, oh, you can't do that. Sure, he can. Uh, but anyway, uh, Dominic, um, uh, the gentleman who called before about, you know, uh, police and uh, corrections and this and that. Uh, I got a lot of friends retired NYPD. I have a cousin up in Monroe, Neil. He's retired captain from Sing Sing. And my son will be 29 in a couple of weeks. Uh, went to Cortland. He's, uh, he's in law enforcement upstate. And I, I, I never say that. But you know what, uh, Dominic? Uh, keep doing what you're doing, and, and pretty cool, a national show. And I said it before, I'll say it again. Other people who work behind the microphone and radio should take a page from your book. Overall, the way you treat callers, the way you operate uh, behind the microphone. You know, Dominic? And well, I'll that's speak very to kind you. of you. Yeah, oh, that's, you know, I tell it like it is. Um, I'll speak to you before Christmas. Uh, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, I'll always have Northern blood in my veins. You know, I'm a South Carolinian now and I'm digging it down here. And I told Curtis too, you know, I have a daughter. She's a middle school teacher. She'll be 34. Um, you know, I'm seven weeks in your rearview mirror, Curtis. You're the end of March. I'm May 11th and I'll be 70, 70 candles on the cake. Damn. Wow. But, uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, you, know, you know, it's interesting, Mike. The other day, yeah. I happened to be in a parking lot, and um, right. and this gentleman parked right next to me. It was him and his wife. And we started talking, and the next thing you know, he pulls out some photos, and he told me that he had just purchased a retirement home uh, in, in, in South Carolina, in Myrtle Beach. And it was so beautiful. It was I've been to Myrtle Beach several times. I used to have a house there. It was absolutely right. beautiful. It made me it made me think that maybe South Carolina might be the place to settle down. That would be cool. And you know, Rita Cosby, uh, she went to the University of South Carolina. I I, I love calling. I, I said it's a one two combination. You Rita and then Dominic's on deck. I'm I'm at a place called I'm north of North Myrtle Beach. It's called Little River. I'm three miles away from North Carolina, uh, Calabash. Do you know of so, a place uh, called The Farms? That, that's where 
that that's where uh, that's where I had a house at. It was about two miles off the main strip, a uh, residential community. But but anyway, Mike, happy holidays to you and your family. I really appreciate the call, and it's time for you to get some rest, man. Some some uh, some sleep. Yeah, I'm going to tell these guys, shut up. I'm getting off the phone with my man, Dominic, and deal the cards, and don't deal from the bottom of the deck. All right? <laughs> All right, Dominic. All the win, All the win, win some of that money. Thank you, Mike. Let's go to Salas in uh, Staten Island, New York. We say good morning to you, sir. What's on your mind? How you doing? Yeah, I would tell you, I was talking about the, the illegals, but when you brought Norman Seabrook on, boy, did that hit home when I said, because, I mean, I'm in, a, I'm in a minority community. I was raised here with my mom. And I was with my mom right up to 97 years old. Wow. She died at 93. That's a blessing. I never left home. I own, I bought four houses right in arm's length of my house. I still never left home because my mother made the best breakfast and dinner. And there's this, you know, they talk about that football player saying not leaving home. To me, I said, why? Why would I leave home? <laughs> I got the best. I got so the best mother on the, it, on the planet. Your mom's breakfast. Breakfast. What was the best part of it? Oh, it, first of all, it was there for me. I was always working, and you know, she she would make whatever I wanted. She said, "Salad, what do you want?" I said, "Uh, can you make French toast today?" Bam, French toast. And she said, "You make eggs over easy." Bam, it's there. Just like that. But the thing is, I I work with with black guys here who are now men and, and they expressed to me, they said, you know, Sarge, you, 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 you take care of me and help me more than my own father did. My father didn't abandon us. He died of a heart attack. So I had to, and there was nine of us in the house, but I got out of the hood. I owned property and whatnot because I had an education. You know, I told you before, they tell you, oh, you're acting white when you're educated. No, I'm acting intelligent. And I don't know why they always pick the least of blacks to get in these high positions like that woman at uh, Harvard. Why don't they pick the intelligent woman who actually wrote the real thing? Agreed. Why do they always pick the, the one who's, <laughs> why do they pick the dummy? One is because they're willing to do what the Democrat Party tells them to do. And the intelligent ones are going to do what's right. Well, I, I, I agree with you, Silas, and um, congratulations uh, on owning four homes. And um, I know you miss your, your mother dearly, uh, but, but it's a blessing. You said she lived until 93? Yeah. That's a tremendous... Yeah, that was my birth. I, I know that's why I raised myself out of the hood. I tell guys, kids who, you know, want to join gangs, I said, where is the gang going to get you? I said, how many millionaires, you know, came out of the gang? Right. We, we know what the gang know is going well, to get you. you know well you want successful. The, the gang know, is going to I don't want to have a level of gun at another black man. The gun, and Silas, thank you for the call. The gun is going to lead to the graveyard or to uh, right. 30 years upstate, whatever state you may be happening to listening to us from. Silas, thank you. Thank you so much for the call. You know, to the point, folks, that Silas just made about Harvard University, it's it's disgusting what's going on there. The president of Harvard, President Gay, the president of MIT, should do the admirable thing and resign. And on top of it, 
I want you to listen to this, right? So Harvard is forcing a Jewish student group to hide their menorah at night for fear of vandalism. Not according to me, according to a rabbi there. And this is a story that has been picked up by the Jerusalem Post. I want you folks to listen to the rabbi. But this bothers me till, till this very day. You know what happens to the menorah? After everyone leaves the yard, we're going to pack it up. We have to hide it somewhere. The university, since the first Hanukkah, would not allow us to keep this menorah here overnight. Because this fear that it'll be vandalized. Think about that. We're trying to fix the world, the future leaders of the world. On our campus, in the shadow of Widener Library, we in the Jewish community are instructed. We'll let you have the menorah. You made your point. Okay. Pack it up. Don't leave it out overnight. Because there will be criminal activity, we fear, and it won't look good. You know when, you know when change is going to happen on this campus? When we don't have to pack up the menorah. Shame on you, Harvard University. Shame on you, President Gay. Do the admirable thing and resign. Pre, pre-admissions, uh, early admissions at Harvard is now down 17% because of all the anti-Semitism allegations. And to all of these people that are protesting against Israel when Israel was attacked. Israel is the victim. The women, the children, the elderly, the entire communities of Israel. Bill Maher, I don't normally watch his uh, television show. However, I caught it this time recently, and he's dead on in terms of delivering a blistering takedown, if you will, of the pro-Palestinian movement. Bottom line is he says Israel is going nowhere. Arafat was offered 95% of the West Bank and said no. The Palestinian people should know your leaders and the useful idiots on college campuses who are their allies are not doing you any favors by keeping alive the river to the sea myth. I mean, where do you think Israel is going? Spoiler alert, nowhere. Agreed, spoiler alert, nowhere. The only folks that are leaving and going somewhere are Hamas. Eliminated. They must be eliminated. Dominic Carter wrapping up the other side of midnight with you folks in for Frank Morano. Frank has had the morning off. Frank will be back with his program tomorrow. And, of course, we have the update. The update, you're going to be hearing a lot about this today in terms of the car barreling into a parked uh, SUV, a parked SUV that was part of Biden's motorcade as the president was leaving a campaign uh, headquarters. This happened in Delaware. So Biden was walking from the campaign office to his armored SUV when a silver sedan with Delaware plates crashed into a U.S. Secret Service vehicle that was used to close off the intersection 
near the headquarters for the president's departure. And the sedan vehicle sustained uh, bumper damage, then uh, tried to drive into a closed-off intersection before Secret Service agents swarmed the vehicle with weapons pulled and forced the driver to surrender. I've got to tell you, folks, this driver is very, very fortunate that he is still alive. The Secret Service does not play. I got the opportunity for about a year to work with them. This is going back. I hope I'm not dating myself. Matt plays too much. And, Tony, this is going back to 1988, right? So I was assigned to cover the Jesse Jackson presidential campaign, and we went all over the country and um, and all over the world. And this is a bad joke. It's a bad joke. On the campaign plane, we did eat fried chicken just about every day. Tony's raising his hand. Tony, after a while, you get sick of fried chicken every day, every day. And we would often travel between, notice Matt Blaze ain't say a word on this one. We would travel between <laughs> between four and five states a day. And it was, oh, we would start at like 4, 4 a.m., the Secret Service bag call which means you bring your bags downstairs at the hotel. Secret Service dogs, everybody, they go through it, and then then the plane, it makes it to the plane, and, and then, then you travel. But we would start in New York at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and end up in Arizona at 3 a.m. Arizona time, which was really uh, 6, 7 a.m. New York time. But anyway, the Secret Service is no joke, folks. And I can imagine the technology that they have now. So when the plane was about to to land, right, the campaign plane, it was funny to watch these guys in operation. They're communicating with the agents that's on the tarmac, right? When you're traveling with a presidential candidate, you don't even go into the airport terminal. The Secret Service picks you up on the, on the tarmac, and you're whisked away. There's no traffic. They close all the streets, and you get used to this until you miss one of the planes and then you have to go back to um you have to go back to to regular life but i want you folks uh to listen to this uh you're going to hear someone ask the president a question and then you hear a boom uh listen this is what happened uh hours ago in Willing- wilmington delaware mr president why are you losing to trump in the polls hear the boom there biden looks over the vehicle swarmed by secret service agents with guns out and at that point the body man whisked biden and other agents into the vehicle of course there'll be a lot more in this uh throughout the day whatever station you're listening to us for dominic carter in for frank morano the other side of midnight it has been a great honor to be with you folks do me a small favor have a wonderful day